0: today out of james if you have your bibles with you we're going to be in james chapter 4 starting in verse 13 you can follow along with me i'll be reading from the esv version if not you can just listen along and hope the holy spirit begins to prepare our hearts for what he wants to teach us today james chapter 4 verse 13 come now you who say As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Skip over to chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmers wait for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the uh, early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may be so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. You who have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fail under condemnation. Let us pray. God, be with us as we continue to hear from your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be with us and that you would lead us faithfully. Convict our hearts of our sin. That's why we gather here, so that we can see you clearly, so that we see the depth of our own depravity, so that your grace and your mercy may reign in this place. Do not allow us to leave unchanged. God, be with my words and my heart and I pray that you would ignite the gifts that you've given me to shine through and the gifts you haven't given, God, I pray for your grace and your mercy for with us this morning. We love you so much and we look to you to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So let's recap. Uh, We've worshiped this morning. We've prayed this morning. We've learned about a melodrama this morning. And we definitely got political up in here this morning. So uh, Draith, you recovered really well, man. I was about to walk out the door. So uh, I'm glad that that we we recovered. It has been such a joy to be with you this summer and be able to walk through the book of James. We're not finishing today, but we're getting really close to the end. And and I just want to say thank you to our church family for allowing me the opportunity to be able to just be in front of you more than I usually am and to be able to provide space for our lead pastor to be on sabbatical as I help him out, as we as a church are supporting him and what God is doing in his life. Uh, for me, it's been such a joy being able to exercise gifts that I don't normally get to use, and uh, thanks for your patience with me as well. Um, I do want to encourage us as a church family as Matt is uh, on month three, starting month three of his sabbatical, um, something that's coming up really quickly for their family. Elizabeth Garino, his daughter, who is here today, is graduating from high school and moving off to college, and it is going to be a huge transition for the Garino family to not just prepare to launch Elizabeth, but also to be able to um, uh, figure out how to do life with Elizabeth at college. And so be praying for them during this transition time as we've been praying faithfully for them all summer long. And so, again, just really excited to to be able to have this opportunity and excited for Matt that he has the opportunity that uh, he has. I'll never forget interviewing for the position of moving out to the west side. For someone who spent so many years in Portland, I loved Portland, I loved everything about the inner city. Uh, mainly the, the small town food. You know, the, the people who don't have chains, who just make their own little food restaurants. You could fit six or seven people inside the restaurant, but it's the best food that you've ever had in your life. I love that about the Portland culture. And moving out to the west side, I knew I was sacrificing something and something good moving out here. But the Lord has been faithful because over the past two plus years that have been out on the west side, we have opened a Chick-fil-A. You guys have been out to Chick-fil-A? If you haven't experienced Chick-fil-A, I'm just getting started. Here we go. Um, not only since I've moved out here have, we have a, has a Chick-fil-A opened, but now also there is a killer burger out on the west side. Portland's moving out to the west. Tannisbourne, if you haven't been out there, it's, out, you, it's the best hamburger you've ever had. Um, there also, there's a, a Lotto Gelato in the Rinco Station area. They're not paying me to say this. This is just something that I, that I get excited about. Um, not too far from a Lotto Gelato... La Provence, oh my gosh, one of my favorite breakfast places. My wife and I went on breakfast dates for so many years and we went to Petite Provence in Northeast Portland and um, it was, again, one of our favorite places and now we realize there's one on the west side too. Things just keep getting better out here and not, not to be finished yet, I want you to know something. In the Bethany area, my friend Luke just let me know that a waffle window is opening up. Ah, if you've ever been to a waffle window, Three-quarters of you are like, I don't understand, and this part, I don't understand you, because food is something that I love. Uh, anyway, uh, I've had many conversations over the recent weeks about all the food that is moving out to the west side, and I realized one thing, something, some one big biblical truth has really sunk in with me, that we all are created to worship, <laughs> I worship. My idol is food. I love to worship food. Uh, and but no. In, in all seriousness, like. God has created every single one of us to worship, and he has created us with the intent of worshiping him, but we live in this world where we battle with what we do worship from day in to day out, and I know my struggle is I love food, and not only do I just like to eat good food, I like to eat a lot of food whenever I do sit down, and I regret whenever I'm finished that I okay, I don't really regret it, but I don't feel very well at the end of it. Um, But, you know, that's something that, that I know that I struggle with when it comes to things that I worship, things that I commit my life to. Another thing are Apple products. I... I remember interviewing for the position out here, and uh, I think I went through my third interview, and things were coming to a close. I, I knew that, that God was leading me out here. My last question for the elders, as Matt was leading the conversation, is Okay, Matt, this is a deal breaker. What device are you using to Skype me in right now? Because I had a Skype interview, and, uh, and, and he told me, I have my Windows product. And I said, Okay, done. I'm out. And so, uh, but, but thankfully, uh, I, I, I wasn't being too serious because it has been a great. Two years. But no matter if it's food or if it's the next new device or if it's the, the Apple thing or the Windows thing or this thing or that thing, we value the toys and the things that surround us and we sing their praises, right? If it's not one of those two things, it's something else that we let our neighbors and our friends and we speak loudly about constantly, right? We are created to worship. We just tend naturally to worship the wrong things. So, something that I want to drive us towards today is the the main point James is going to drive us towards is that yearning for something other than Jesus will leave us unsatisfied. You may be wondering how can I connect the words, uh, sorry, the worship of food or devices, these two things, to Jesus? These are two different categories, right? I mean, sure, there's these things, these gifts, these toys, these things that we enjoy day in and day out. Am I allowed to like and to love those things as well as much as I love and I adore Jesus? Absolutely. There's definitely some margin for error in here. But the reality is, is that we tend to think about life on different spectrums. We think about things in different categories. And so we tend to not think linearly with the way that we approach life. But here's the reality, is that life is extremely linear in the way that we live. It needs to be with Jesus being the center of everything that we do, everything that we approach. Yes, when it comes to food and when it comes to devices, when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our jobs, when it comes to our families, these are not different categories. God is asking us to think linearly, and Jesus, again, must be the core and the center of it all. As we move forward in this life, if you disagree, I'm gonna disagree with you, even with the words of Jesus. As He encouraged us and He told us in the Gospels that we cannot serve two masters, we cannot love both money and God. So, Jesus himself even uses the idea of money and says that, yes, we all need it and we all, it's okay and good to save up for retirement, but when we love it more than we love God, it has become our idols. So in other words, he is saying, we do not think about life in different categories, but we must think linearly, and Jesus, our trust in Jesus must be the center of every piece of things, or must be in the center of everything that we think about. And that's what James is gonna lead us to today. A different way to talk about James and where we have been is that James has led us to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth the first chapter that we had a chance and privilege to walk through together, uh, really focused on on our relationship with God. Remember back when we started James chapter 1, we spent two weeks on James chapter 1, and we talked about sustainable faith. James dives in and he gets heavy from the very beginning, and he says that our relationship with Jesus was never intended to be easy. Jesus wasn't the fix to all of our problems, and all of our problems then go away when we commit our lives to Jesus. But no, he says in the in the midst of sufferings, in the midst of trials, it's then that we become more mature in our faith. And when we lack wisdom, we must ask for wisdom. And God is faithful and he's just to give us wisdom in the midst of those really difficult circumstances. He talked about sin, how we are lured and enticed into sin to just make us aware. So again, the big idea we pulled out that week was was we need to strive for a sustainable faith in Jesus Christ. So that is focused on our relationship with God. And we finished out that chapter the next week by saying that that God is calling us to be doers of his word. In other words, we must be word-centered people that we must know his word inside and out. Can everyone read the Bible? Yes, God calls all people to read the Bible and to know it well. That is our call as humans created in God's image is that we must know Scripture and be driven by it and not just be driven by it, but to be doers of his word. And then we dove into chapter 2 and the focus uh, of James moved and shifted from our relationship with God to our relationships with others as we began by um, uh, talking about how we should avoid unintentional, uh, unintentional divisive, uh, divisiveness with one another, that we should be united as followers of Jesus under the cross of Christ. And we must have eyes to see people who walk in these doors and to love them like Christ loves them. It doesn't matter which ethnicity, which race, what their background is, what their socioeconomic status is, but we are one as believers and we do not need to be divided or fractured by these things. Our culture tends to divide us by We continue by saying our faith is proven by our works. As Jesus is working in us, we must love other people. That is the response of being saved. It's not something you work hard at doing. It's something that Jesus does in you when you are his child. We work and we looked at the fruit of the Spirit to say that's the most natural way that Jesus works in us. And it, it flows from there on out. And last week we talked about how how sin fractures every relationship. And then today we're diving in to the idea, to the truth that the yearning for something other than Jesus will ultimately leave us unsatisfied. James starts off in this section of scripture by leading us to see our place in eternity. Who are we in the eyes of God And how much of a um, legacy could we leave if we pursued Jesus in the way that James is leading us to pursue him? And the first thing that we're going to see right off the bat is that James wants us to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. We are not God's greatest gift to humanity. Now, I don't know if anyone in this room would actually boldly walk in these doors and be proclaiming that statement, but the question I have for us is, where are our hearts when we walk in these doors every single Sunday morning? Do we think that God is a better man because we are here worshiping him? Do we think that this is just our duty so we get to come in and we just get to be with friends? This is a social club outreach type thing? If that is the approach when you walk in every single Sunday morning, the, the heart of you walking in is one of saying, I'm pretty great and I don't need anything else in this world and so I'm coming just to bless everyone else and God with my presence. Though again, you would never outwardly say that. We tend to take the gifts of God that he gives us and we worship these gifts that God gives us. And we forget to give the giver of these gifts all glory, all honor, and all praise. For example, we take our marriages, or we take our kids, or we take our health, or we take our time, We take our resources, we take our jobs, we take our this, we take our that, and we say this is what's most important to me and this is what I'm going to pour all my time and energy into. And we put our identity in these things. Yes, we can put our identity in our relationships with our kids and spouses and and other people we are in relationship with or even our own health and say this is what I focus on, I put all my energy towards. And the reason that we do that frequently is because we find uh, validation in these types of relationships. Whenever my health is great, then I... find validation in that. When I, my job is going well, I find validation. I find life in that. When my marriage is going great, I find validation and I find life in that. And we forget about the true state of who we are, that we are broken and depraved and we need the grace and mercy of God. So we walk into this room just thinking that if I, everything else is going well in my life, then I got nothing else that I need. And when we do that, again, we think that we are uh, are better, we think that we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And I'll say it that way. These things were never designed nor given to us by God to provide us the joy that we seek from these things. Though God provides these things to bring joy to our lives. So ultimately, thinking linearly, we can give glory to our God for giving us such great gifts. When was the last time you spent time with your kids or your siblings and it was good and you said, God, thank you for that, for that gift? When was the last time you held your iPhone 6 in your hands and said, thank you, God, for giving me this great gift? Kids, when was the last time you looked at your parents you had a good time hanging out with them and you said thank you god for giving me parents who love me i worship you because of this we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought a question i want to ask us in thinking this direction is if the holy spirit of god decided to leave our lives what would change Do we put so much of our energy, so much of our time, and so much of our resources into these gifts that God has given us, that we put our hope in those gifts, that if the Holy Spirit decided to remove himself totally from our lives, that nothing in our lives would ever change? If that is true, we have a major problem we have approached god with the wrong heart the wrong mentality we have approached god thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to so this is one side of the spectrum james is also going to be leading us to see a second end of the spectrum that he wants us to see our eternal purposes there's a problem in this though many of us in this room feel that um, We let, we won't feel, we let our insecurities drive us. and We let our insecurities hinder what God wants to do and or say in us and through us and to us. Our insecurities hinder what God can do. Just imagine. Imagine our lives waking up every single morning and not feeling the guilt of what we have done or what we have not done. Imagine waking up in the morning and... And your, your desire to want to be with our Lord overpowers your self-inflicted guilt and or condemnation. And it drives you to be with Jesus day in and day out. Imagine having ears to listen to your friends and your co-workers and your, friend, uh, and your, uh, and your kids and to speak hope directly and naturally as these natural conversations are happening. I have seen in my own life as well as in relationships with other people that we let our own insecurities keep us away from driving people towards the grace of jesus christ in our own lives we don't need to be like that the person standing on the street corner who are beating people over the heads with the bible that's not what we're aiming to do but we're aiming to be first and foremost naturally in our relationship with jesus and then when we're in relationships with others we are able to speak hope that we are experiencing into those types of relationships but yet our insecurities keep us away and i think that James wants to say something to us this morning. Your life is never about your insecurities or your pride, but about the kingdom of God in the here and the now. How has the Holy Spirit shown up in your lives? How do we live as a child of God, saved and redeemed for his glory? Let's just look at what James said to us here a few minutes ago. Chapter 4, verses four. the second part of verse 14, he asks us, asks us a question, speaks right to the church. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You are just a blip on the radar in God's grand story. That is not to diminish us or to make us feel bad about who we are. There's something really, really great even within that statement. He continues in verse 15 and he says, Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. In other words, we should stop pursuing our own passions and first and foremost, pursue the passions of Jesus Christ in our own hearts and lives. And then he will lead us in his will and in his purpose day in and day out. And we can live in so much more confidence than we've ever received. No matter which end of the spectrum you find yourself on. Think of yourself more highly than you ought, or if you're led by insecurities, both of these ends are actually arrogance. I don't need Jesus because I am in control of my own world. If everything's going well around me, then I am happy and I am good we got this spectrum over here of insecurities and we stop pursuing Jesus because of the feeling of guilt and condemnation. And in that we're saying to Jesus, you don't have the power to resurrect my own heart and my own life. So I'm just going to sit in my filth for a little while and just be here because I deserve to be here. That is another type of arrogance. And James in verse 16 speaks directly to us. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, either positively or negatively all such boasting is evil man the call for us is to live as a child of god to live saved and to live redeemed for his glory how do we do this James gives us one word on how we can do this that he is going to focus on. This is not one word that fixes all the problems in in this life, so please don't hear me say it from that angle, but this is what James focuses on and there's so much truth that we can pull away from this one word. He says to us to be patient. To be patient. He calls us to patience. James takes a break from talking to the church and he's going to target the arrogance of unbelievers. Um, he's going to target the, uh, the arrogance of unbelievers and um, we could see in how people who don't follow Jesus live their lives and what is coming for those who focus is not on the hope of the glory of God with the encouragement of how we should drive towards patience. Let's look at chapter 5 verses one through six. We know that James is talking to, about the world here because so many times throughout uh, his whole um, book, he talks, about, he talks to the brothers um, all throughout. You can just flip through. When he's talking to Christians, brothers, 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 do this, brothers, do that, brothers, here's your encouragement. And then he stops, he breaks that pattern in. In chapter five, he says, come now, you, re- you rich, weep and howl, for the miseries that are coming upon you, your riches have rotted your garments and, moth, and are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have eroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mow your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts." So, you arrogant, prideful people who are so far from me, the people that you have squished your entire lives have cried out to me, and I have heard their cries. Verse five: You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not or sorry, uh, he does not resist you. James targets the arrogance of unbelievers and says this is their pursuit and in their pursuit of their own kingdom that they're building up this is the direction they are heading and The words that he uses towards those of unbelievers are things that we, as followers of Jesus, can actually identify with as well. I'll read again, verse five. Um, He says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self indulgence. Brothers and sisters, this is stuff that we struggle with day in and day out in our pursuit of Jesus. That we don't know, uh, we struggle with, I don't want to say we don't know how, but we struggle with living in luxury and following Jesus. How do I not build up my own kingdom, but also be a good steward of the resources that God has given me? How do I enjoy the life that God has for me, but also be faithful with what God has given to me? Man, this is such a crazy little balance that we live in and not be in self-indulgence. He continues and he says about the non-believers, you have fattened your hearts in the days of slaughter. Here's my question for us. Have we fattened our hearts in impatience on the Lord? Have we not heard from the Lord and so therefore we've taken a hold of of our things, and we started building our own kingdoms rather than taking every gift that God has given us, laid it back on His throne, and saying, What do you want us to do with this? Have we gotten weary from waiting on the Lord? James then talks to followers of Jesus in verse 7. And he's, James calls followers of Jesus to live in patience. Don't be quick to make your name great. Don't be quick to sell out God and worship the gifts rather than the giver himself. Don't give up on God's grace in your life and surrender to your insecurities. But wait, wait on the Lord. I want to read this verse in Isaiah chapter 40. It's a beautiful picture of what's going on. He says, "Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall uh, should fall exhausted." Has anyone ever experienced that before? Absolutely. But they who wait on the Lord will. um, Sorry, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles, and they shall run and not grow weary. They shall not, or they shall walk and not be faint. That's what I desire in my own heart and in my own life is if I can choose and choose in an easy way, I want to wait on the Lord's work and leading in my own life. But how do we do that? What is the encouragement that James has for us? There are two really quick, simple things that he highlights and I want to expand on those and then we'll be done this morning. So the first thing that he says is that we must have patience through establishing our hearts in the truth of God. Let's look at verse 7 and 8. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives uh, the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establishing your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We must wait and we must establish our hearts in the truth as James has led us to be doers of the word, to know it and to know it well, and to rest in this place. And when we rest in this place, he is calling us to be patient and to wait on him just like the harvest is waiting to be, uh, to be reaped. Sown, reap, you sow it, then you reap it. So uh, it is waiting to be reaped, right? So we need to be patient, by establishing our hearts in truth. And the second thing is we need to be patient by mimicking the faith of the prophets. Verses 10 and 11, he says, as an example of suffering and patience, a theme again throughout James, suffering and patience. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, and how the Lord has had compassion and mercy. We can learn something by knowing the word and knowing it well. What we see is we can see the prophets of the Old Testament who James is pointing back to, To said they are an example of suffering and of patience. And we um, can look at Elijah in the book uh, of 1 Kings, chapter 17 and 18. He destroys the prophets of Baal. If you don't know the story, I'd encourage you to go read it, and to read it on your own, and to hear what God did in a mighty way in 1 Kings chapter uh, uh, 18 and destroyed the prophets of Baal. Uh, Elijah, through the power of God, had a great victory. And then you get into uh, chapter 19 and you see uh, Jezebel, the the queen, uh, Ahab was the king, his wife Jezebel, sought to pursue and to kill Elijah for what he did there in 1 Kings. And what was his response? He just saw the Lord do a mighty work, but then he ran in fear of his own life to hide inside of a cave because he was afraid that um, this queen was going to kill him And it's just very ironic to me that what he saw and then what his experience is then. And he needed encouragement from the Lord, and so he waited on the Lord. He sought the Lord. He pursued the Lord. And the Lord said to him, I will show myself to you. That's when the wind came in a mighty way, and the Lord was not there. An earthquake came and rumbled the ground, and the Lord was not there Fires came and overtook the area, and the Lord was not there. But then a gentle whisper came to Elijah, and that was the voice of the Lord because he sought him in his most difficult times. We can learn from the prophets. Isaiah, another prophet, who was called to prophesy in a really difficult time in Israel's history. Israel was on the downsliding of of being exiled as a nation, and his call to the whole nation was to repent and turn to the Lord. And we read so many chapters of Elijah pursuing the people, and we know through history that they did not repent, and they ran away from exactly what um, Isaiah was saying. Jeremiah, another prophet, who God was very upfront with and said, no one will repent, but you must say these words. And he was faithful to the very end, and he screamed words of repentance towards those Israelites. Time and time again, we could see the patience of the prophets in their relationship with Jesus, relying and trusting on Jesus as they moved forward in their own lives and the last one that i want to highlight is not necessarily an old testament prophet but one of our founding fathers abraham abraham in genesis chapter 12 and again in genesis chapter 15 heard from the lord god said to him i will establish a nation through you i will make your name great you will have as many descendants as the sand on the seashore and you will have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. But what we read is that Abraham was old and his wife Sarah was old as well and they were beyond childbearing years and they were going to have all these descendants and they didn't know where these descendants were going to come from. And it was Abraham's trust that God was going to provide a descendant into his family that God said in Genesis 15 that, um, you are righteous by your faith, you 're righteous but because you believe that i 'm going to provide for you. We read story we read this story in Genesis, and we know that God provides, right? He provides Isaac. There 's so much of the story I 'm missing, but the truth of the matter is, is that he provides Isaac. Then we get to Genesis chapter 22. What does God do? God tells Abraham to go out and slaughter his son Isaac on the altar. And without hesitating, Abraham grabbed his son, went out in the wilderness. They built an altar together. He strapped his son on the altar, and he held the knife in his hand about to murder his own child because God said to do it. And right before the knife was about to go down to plunge into his heart, God stopped him and said, I was I am testing you to see if you would do what I said. So stop. And so we stopped. God provided a land to be slaughtered, to be slaughtered. Um, sacrifice unto the Lord so that him and his son can worship God together. We read in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham's faith, what he believed in that moment is that God said that he was going to provide descendants through Isaac. And so um, if God was deciding to kill Isaac on that altar, I'm believing that God's going to raise him from the dead right in front of my eyes because God made a promise to me. That is faith. That is a very strong way of him pursuing his faith and trust in God and being extremely patient, not knowing the outcome of what that story was going to be, but ultimately trusting. Patience is not mustering up the strength to to survive what God throws at us, but it believes in the promises of his truth. Our hope does not lie in the gifts that God gives, but in the hope that is greater than any gift that he gives. I want to close by reading Romans chapter 5. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. These verses center on us being redeemed and saved by our heavenly Father. But more so, he promises to walk with us. Verse 3. More than that, more than just being redeemed and saved, we rejoice in our sufferings, trusting God. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Right alongside with the words of James is that suffering leads us to great things. We walk through patiently. We stop building our own kingdom and we trust the hand of God in the midst of everything that we walk through, knowing that God will walk through through it with us until the end. No matter if we are healed of the thing that we are seeking to be healed from or if we are standing face to face before our Father, there is no bad outcome. God does not promise to give us the things that we want, but he does promise to prove to us who he is while we walk through these really difficult things, knowing it's going to mature and strengthen our faith, not only to our own hearts, but to the world around us as we pursue Jesus day in and day out our posture moving forward. Look in verse 6. The Apostle Paul continues, for while we are, but while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That, my friends, brothers and sisters, is the greatest healing we could ever experience. We put so much hope on our health. We put so much hope in the things around us. But what Jesus continues continues to point to through the power of the word is the thing that we should look at the most is that we have been saved from the wrath of God because of his blood on the cross for us. Yes, pray for our health and pray for the health of those around us. God calls us to do that, to trust him and to beg him for these things. But we should not be angry with God when he does not provide, what he promises to provide is himself. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, sorry, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. The call of James is authentic faith to live in the way that we say we believe. We are broken sinners in need of Jesus to come and enter and to speak hope and allow us the ability to stand in his presence. And when we walk through these doors, we must wait on the Lord patiently for him to provide the truth that we need to be able to stand with arms lifted high and saying, you are the great king. You are the one who is um, worthy of everything you are the most beautiful thing that i could ever lay my eyes on and yes god i needed to be reminded of that today walking in these doors because i'm so prone to build my own kingdom instead i want to build your kingdom in and through me the yearning for something other than jesus will absolutely leave us unsatisfied let's pray God, we first and foremost want to thank you for Jesus. We can read in your word how from the very beginning of time you made everything so beautiful and perfect. And starting from our forefathers, from Adam and Eve, the choices that they made, everything was broken, but you did not leave it there. It is your plan before the earth was ever formed to provide for us, Jesus, so that we could have life and we could be drawn back to you, could be reconciled back to you. God, in the world that we live in, we get so caught up in just building up our own worlds and living in our own little bubbles that we forget to see you and what you're doing in us and through us to give you all glory and all praise. We tend to worship the things you give rather than the giver you, God. We pray that as we finish out this morning that we would see you for who you are and be able to worship you again in spirit and in truth no matter if we're someone who walked in these doors brokenhearted and heavy and weary, we pray that you would build us up and give us the strength to stand. If we walked in this room extremely prideful and arrogant in the way that that thinking that we don't need anything from you, tear down those walls and bring us to a place of knowing that all we need is you. And Jesus, lead us to worship you, to see you for as beautiful as you really are. It's in Jesus' beautiful and perfect and holy name that we can ask all of these things.